2nd Kings chapter 6, 2nd Kings chapter 6. How many of you are excited for everything that's happening at Oak Park Pentecostals? Spiritually, financially, things are just happening. I am excited to be a part of this church at this age and this time. And I'm excited to be a part of the kingdom and the body of Christ in these end times. Amen. Second, we are in the end times, for those of you that didn't know. We are in the end times, for those of you that didn't know. I, I find i got to say stuff like two, three times. For <laughs> You know, it's only, only in, uh, it's hilarious, you can preach a whole message about something and someone come to you after service complaining about the exact thing you just preached about. <laughs> so you got to say stuff a couple times. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 24 and it came to pass after this that Benadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the winepress? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son, that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall. And the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Then he said, God, do so and more also to me. If the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. But Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him. And the king sent a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See ye how this son of a murderer hath sent to take away mine head? Look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is out of the Lord, and what should I wait for the Lord any longer? Jesus, we magnify you, God. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips, God. Help me to speak to this people, your people, God. Let their hearts be open to receive everything that you have in store, Jesus. We magnify your name. Let miracles, signs, and wonders be performed in this place. Let your spirit be poured out, God. Let fresh revelation come forth. Let burden be birthed, God, in the spirit, Jesus. We magnify your name and we give you all the praise. And everybody said amen. Amen. I'm going to read just a little while longer. You may be seated. In chapter 7. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Tomorrow about this time. Shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria? Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? That's a powerful question. Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they arose up in the twilight to go unto the camp. Of the Syrians, and when they were come unto into the uttermost part, excuse me, unto the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there, for the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots 
and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, we do not well this day. Is a day of, this day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they went, so they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they called them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man, there neither voice of a man, but horses tied and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. I, pre- I appreciate you bearing with me. That was kind of a lengthy portion of reading, but a powerful testament to the power of God. I want to preach on this subject uh, tonight, just very briefly. There are spoils in the enemy's camp. There are spoils in the enemy's camp. For each and every one of us, there are spoils in the enemy's camp. Spoils are what you take in war. They are, they are goods, precious goods. They're, they might be raiment. They might be uh, gold, silver, Uh, Various precious oils, spices, whatever you take that is someone else's. Oh, man, thank you. Hooking it up. I can feel parched already. Amen. But there are spoils in the enemy's camp. You know, we sing a song. It's kind of an old song. I like the song. Um, I I like the song and I don't like the song, uh, if that makes sense to you. I like the song because it it sounds good. I can get down to it. But I don't like the song because... It goes like this. I'm going to take back what they, what he, what he did what from, what he do? Stole. Stole. So I like the song because I can get down, but nobody, and I mean nobody, likes to have something stolen from them. Those of you that have, uh, what, the worst, the absolute worst is when you get robbed to your face, you know, like when someone sticks you up and you get robbed, because you, you, you know, Pastor mentioned it this morning, and this is how I know it's true. He said, uh, men have the most frail thing in the, in the world is a man's ego. And I know it's fragile because when he said it, I felt my ego kind of rise up in me a little bit. <laughs> well, how dare he? <laughs> Y'all laughing, but some of you men felt the same way, you know what I'm saying? No, but there's, there's nothing that hurts your pride quite like getting robbed to your face. You know, and someone sticks you up and, and takes what, what you worked hard for. So that take back what he stole from me. It's a good, it's got a good message. You want to go in there? You want to kick the devil in the teeth? That was a little low for the teeth, but kick the devil in the teeth. And take back what he stole from you. And I've heard all kinds of messages preached about taking back what the devil stole from you. But I, I have some unfortunate news. I don't think actually the devil stole anything. I don't think the devil stole anything. The unfortunate truth is that anything that the devil has of yours, you probably freely gave him. I know it sounds, it's a lot easier on your pride to say, he came and he took it from me. But the, the devil, he's the father of all lies. Sun Tzu, he wrote a, a, a cute little book. You might want to read it sometime. It's called The Art of War. In that, one of the most famous lines in that book is, all war is deception. And the devil's tactic, his chief weapon, is he's going to come in and he's going to, Speak a lie into your ear. He did not come into the, he didn't come into paradise. 
He didn't come into the garden and strong arm Eve. He didn't have the apple. Eat it. He wasn't, she wasn't. <laughs> he just fed her a couple lies. Yep. God said that you're sure, you would surely die. But you're not going to die. Not instantaneously anyways. See, that's the devil's chief tactic. He's a deceiver and a liar. And the unfortunate truth is he probably didn't have to steal anything from you. The unfortunate truth is you probably listened to something he said and just gave it. And I believe there's some people in this room tonight that the enemy has deceived us. The devil's got a whole bunch of your stuff that unfortunately you willingly surrendered. And I've been right there. I've been right there with you. Every single person in this room has surrendered something that we should have held on to. There's some people in this room that thought they were and possibly still do believe that you are hostage. That you are hostage. I'm going to take a couple moments to talk to these people right now. There are spoils in the enemy's camp. If you're suffering from what we would quote unquote call a victim mentality... There are spoils in the enemy's camp. We see the people of Israel, they're in this exact predicament in 2 Kings chapter 6 and chapter 7. They're in this exact situation. The Syrians, they have the city surrounded. The king of Syria has Samaria in the very palm of his hand. And he's got it clenched tight. And the Israelites... They fall into famine. I don't know how many weeks, how many months perhaps the city was sieged. We don't, it doesn't tell us. But evidently, there, this was either really bad timing and they'd already been in slight famine and the siege only made it worse or they had been at it for some time and they just ran out of goods because the city was in desperate famine. We read in this and uh, for all of you that are uh, parents or you have loved ones that are uh, small and infant, you know how just incredibly horrific this chapter 6 is. When a, a mother is so desperate, two mothers in fact, that they're, I'll, I will eat my child. Can we just, we'll eat my child. You know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The Lord, He will never. And I know, I know the sacrifice of children and cannibalism. That's not, it doesn't parallel really well with what we face today. But the underlying theme does really well. The Lord will never require innocence as a prerequisite to meet His divine purpose. Jesus is the lamb slain from the very foundation of the world. All innocence, the very essence of purity has already been sacrificed. We see it. He told Abraham, he said, take your son up, your only son. Take him up to the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. And after he had tested Abraham, and Abraham has the knife drawn, he says, no, wait, I'll provide. The Lord will never require innocence as a prerequisite to meet his goals. If you find yourself in a place where innocence is on the line, something that you are dutied to protect is on the line, and you are genuinely considering it, that is when you need to immediately pump the brakes. And you need to go to God's word, or you need to get down in prayer right then and there. and Say, Lord, this is not your will. This is not your will. This is contrary to your word. 
And I call upon you right now. Come on. There's nothing higher than God's word. Even the Lord has subjugated himself to God's word. His own word he will hold fast to. And if you encounter a situation, you say, Lord, the only solution that I see right now is absolutely contrary to your word. You need to get down right now on your knees. And I guarantee you the Lord will provide you with a miracle. But they find themselves in severe famine. They had succumbed to a mindset of defeat. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. There was only, we'll boil my kid today and boil yours tomorrow. They were paying real money. Real money for the fecal matter of a dove. Yea, a quarter of the fecal matter of a dove. I, I wanted, these prices are shocking. This is when, when money has no intrinsic value anymore because you don't care about money, you just care about survival, you could see how crazy this was. This, by today's value, you, they were paying $50 worth of silver for a quarter. <laughs> a quarter of a dove's fecal matter. You are in a bad place, my friend. Take the Rolex. I, I think I got a gold tooth. And they were paying equivalent of $790 worth of silver for a donkey's head. Almost 800 bucks worth of silver by today's value. That would be approximately four months worth of labor in antiquity. Four months worth of hard-earned money for a donkey's head. And trust me, a donkey's head was the same thing back then as it is now. A donkey's head. You, didn't, you weren't rolling up at the top restaurants. Yes, let me test one of your finest donkey's heads, please. Keep the eyeballs in. This was a bad situation. Four months worth of labor. Sacrificing their own children for nourishment. All the while. The devil, he can't take anything from us. We have something from God. There's a little divine providence that has given us. We like to use this word. I don't know if we really actually believe in it, though. He's given us a little something called victory. And the devil, he's always going to attempt to feign victory so he can take away yours. He can't take anything from you. All he can do is feign victory. Only deceive you into believing that you have lost. The, the problem with that level of deception is that once you have someone convinced that they've lost, there's virtually no turning that situation around. Bishop and pastor, when I was a kid, they always used to use this saying, and it drove me nuts. And Because um, as a kid, you like to use it. It's a good way to get out of stuff. And it goes something like this. Aw, oh, Dad. Aw, oh, Poppy. I can't. I can't. And Bishop and Pastor, their famous retort would always be, can't never did anything. Can't never did anything. If you tell yourself that you can't, guess what? You won't. 
And, and this isn't about a, a motivational speech. This is, this is just God's word in black and white. Screaming, wake up, dummy! See, I, I find it mind-boggling. Because just, this is, Israel was a small community, you know? A small nation. Word got around. So when Elisha just, not books before, not multiple chapters before, but one chapter before, perhaps it was years, perhaps it was months, perhaps it was days. We don't really know in the timeline of things, but one chapter before, Elisha, the lone ranger with his servant, is in the exact same situation as this entire people group. He's in a city surrounded. That, I'm not seeing too many differences here. City, walled city, surrounded by a large army of Syrians. Right around the same time, same king. They weren't employing different tactics. Nothing different. Nothing unique about these two situations from one another. Except one guy had the absolute audacity to say, actually, we're not outnumbered. Lord, would you please open my servant's eyes? Would you please open his eyes, God, so he can see? And it says the servant's eyes were open, and on the mountainside all around the city, all he could see was flaming chariots. Said those that are with us are greater than those that are with them. Absolutely no difference in the situation, except, Brother Ham, you made a phenomenal point today, this, this evening. It's what we pray for. The only difference I can find between these two situations is that one person was smart enough. There's nothing special about Elisha. Yes, he, he followed Elijah. Yes, he was diligent. But God's no respecter of persons. The only thing he different is he took the time to talk to God. Lord, open my servant's eyes. God, I, I, don't, I don't know if he, if he was just coming up with this stuff. I, I don't know if he had meditated on this, if I'm ever in a city surrounded by the Syrian army. I think I'll have the Lord strike him with blindness. I don't know. Maybe he came up with it on a whim. He said, strike him with blindness. And then he, it says, if you read it, he walks out, walks out to the army. And uh, the guy that you're looking for is actually not here. Let me, let me take you to where the guy you're looking for is. And he puts a little leash on Toto, a.k.a. the Syrians, and he walks the entire army over into his turf. And the king of Israel comes out like, oh, Elisha, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. You want me to kill him? You want me to kill him right now? He said, no, 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 no. Are you kidding? There's no honor in that. I want you to feed them and send them on their way. You are a bad dude. You are a bad dude. When everybody, can I emphasize that one more time? You are bad to the bone. When an entire army shows up to kill specifically you, you have no fear whatsoever. You ask the Lord to smoke them with blindness. You convince them all that you're not the guy that is actually the guy that they're looking for. You take them into your territory. And then... When you have the opportunity to annihilate all of them. You know what? No. You guys, let's all sit down. I'm going to feed you a nice dinner, and then I want to send you on your way, okay? We're going to pretend like this never happened, okay? Hey, Tony, bring me some cannolis. <laughs> this, you are bad to the bone. The same exact situation. The only thing is, we see here in, in, in Scripture several times, where this king and his servants are essentially saying, the, the Lord hasn't helped you. How can I help you? What I find so sad about that is there was nowhere in this narrative where anybody in this city, you know, in Scripture, it's very clear. The Lord wants you to know when people cried out to him. 
You'll see it in scripture. There was a fervent prayer that arose. There was a great cry that rose up to the Lord. His people cried to the Lord. Something along those lines. One person cried anybody. Nobody cried. People just said, the Lord hasn't, the Lord hasn't heard you. Well, no, duh. Nobody's prayed. Nobody's prayed. And this, this is mind-boggling. We're sacrificing children, our own children, and nobody's thought to pray. Oh, but God hasn't heard. I'm not, I'm not trying to be cynical or sarcastic. I'm just saying this is the kind of stuff that we find ourselves in. These are the kind of situations we find ourselves in. Because we're just cruising through life, breezing. And something as simple as a prayer. I'm not saying you got to get down and for eight hours out of the day travail. I know most of us don't have that kind of time. I'm saying talk to God. Talk to God for 15, 20, 30 minutes. You can spare 30 minutes. states, God hasn't helped you. How can I? When you do not pray, you automatically subjugate yourself to defeat. When you do not pray, it's essentially like saying, I can't. I can't. And we've already covered it. When you say you can't, you won't. Scripture is very explicit. If you draw nigh to me, I. There's an activation there. God's hungry. God's waiting. God doesn't ever sleep. He just needs you to say one word. Take one step. That's why I came to the conclusion the real enemy is us. You know, we, we, we blame, I hear so many, I hear preachers and, uh, you know, uh, on f- Facebook, social media, and all, I see all these televangelists and the devil, he's hunting you down, he's in your wallet, blah, 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 blah. And let me tell you something about the devil. He's not like God. He's not omnipresent everywhere at once. There's one devil. He's got... He's got angels. He's got fallen angels, demons that assist him. But there's just one devil. Let's not credit the guy with more than... That we're deception. It says when we, get to, when we get there, God's going to introduce us. Hey, by the way, this is the guy that caused you some problems. And everybody's going to sit back on their rocking chair like we were all at Cracker Barrel together. We're going to sit back and, Paul, he's saying that's the devil? Well, that guy don't look like he could do nothing. (laughs) He's got us bamboozled. The enemy is us. Galatians 5.17, the flesh lusts against the spirit. And then it goes on to say the the spirit, it's battling against the flesh. James 4.1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 1 Peter 2 and 11 is abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. You know, a lot of times we we'll go through a trial and the Lord, he'll allow us. See, that's why when the devil came before the Lord, and he, he, they were considering Job. He's allowed his rights of deception. He's allowed to try to trick you. And that's about all he's allowed to do. He had to get very special, very unique permission to afflict Job physically. What does this tell us? That a mass majority of everything we face is caused by this. This 
is a powerful computer that scientists are only beginning, biological engineers are only beginning to understand. Powerful. Powerful computing tool. Powerful creative ability. And the Lord, he allows us to experience some hard times, and some of those hard times might cause us to encounter the enemy that whispers something in our ear. But just like the Samaritans, there's nothing unique about this situation. Just like the Samaritans, so many of us find ourselves in a situation where years ago, months ago, weeks ago, whatever, we were in a trial and we encountered a voice that whispered into our ear something that had the potential to be crippling. And the unfortunate thing is some of us allowed that to take root. And you know what? Then the devil said, or one of his minions said, sayonara. And they went on down the road. And they have been nowhere near you since. All it took was a couple words. A smattering of lies. A smattering of lies. There was no victory. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. There was only let's eat your kid today and my kid tomorrow. Meanwhile, the enemy has flown the coop. And the only thing holding us hostage is us. The enemy didn't have to take anything. He didn't have to strong arm us. He gave us a couple words, a couple lies. And we freely opened ourselves up. You know, and then we have these questions, you know. Why does a merciful God allow these things to happen? Why hasn't God heard us? Why isn't God doing anything? If God is so righteous, why is there wickedness in the world? Just you and me, brother, standing in the need of prayer. The enemy didn't strong arm anybody. He whispered a couple words in our ears and we believed it. Inevitably, if you're in a situation that is causing you undue grief, harm, etc., you can probably trace that situation back to a person. That started it. That person probably 90% of the time being yourself. We blame so much on the devil. But it tends to be that we, and I'm, this is a very inclusive statement, I... I'm just too weak, fickle, and quite frankly, too dumb. To admit it. Our pride gets in the way. I'm here to tell somebody that you're not going to perish in your circumstances. Your dilemma is not greater than our God. Your problem cannot overcome your victory. God already has a solution. God already has. A, this is how good God is. Everything you gave up 
that he sacrificed everything for. And we turn around and gave it up. But don't worry, everything you gave up, he's already got waiting for you in the promise. There are spoils in the enemy's camp. And they far exceed everything that you already gave up. He loves you so much, he said, I gave it all for you, and I'll do it again. I've got a plan to get you out of this situation you're in. Your circumstances will not overcome you. Your problems are not greater than me. I am your God. You cannot overcome the victory that is found in Christ Jesus. The Lord, he doesn't need great problem-solving skills, highfalutin ideas. He just needs some people that are a little bit desperate. Q, our lepers. I love these guys. You know, we're going to die here. <clears throat> And to be quite honest, I'm kind of bored, and I'm starving to death, so let's have a hoorah, shall we, boys? We can go into the city, and we can die of the famine. We can stay right here and die of the famine. Or we can go to the Syrians' camp, and there is a possibility that they won't kill us. There is a fractional opportunity to survive. Hey, hey. Can I just say, these lepers, what they signify is you and I. They signify you and I. See, because when we entered this beautiful family of Christ, we didn't know what we were looking for. We had no concept of his greatness, his mercy, his love. Had no understanding of it. We stumbled into it. That's why the Lord loves desperate people. I know we, we, we always think we're so smart and then we stumble into God's plan. It's like, oh. And they stumbled in to God's plan. That's how much God loves us. It's just incredible. Not a single person in Samaria thought to pray. In fact, they were saying, God's going to come through in this situation. And even when God's man said, God's going to come through in this situation, really, if there were windows made in heaven, could God do it? You know, every now and then, this is probably a horrible thing to say, but every now and then, I like it. The Lord, he's got a, he can have a dark sense of humor sometimes. He's like, joke's on you, homie. I can't do it. Okay, you'll get to see it, but you won't get to taste it. You'll get to see it, but you won't get to taste it. Unfortunately, when you see it, you're going to be trampled in the gate. You know, that the Lord is not in the business of going backwards. We see this in the, in the example of the lepers. The Lord's not in the business of a holding pattern. He said to his people, look, you've encompassed this mountain long enough. It's time to move. The Lord is in the business of moving forward. So when in doubt, move forward. Move forward. Please, for your own sake, don't be that guy, that gal that has an epiphany. Oh. God would have to put windows in heaven and then maybe he could do it. Don't be that person. You will metaphorically or quite possibly literally be trampled in the gate. There is danger in telling God what he can and cannot do. There is danger in telling God what he can and cannot do. Just a segue, and I, I, I always find it profoundly scary 
that the Lord is on his way down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sarah laughs at God's word. That's a scary place to be. The Lord was merciful. But the Lord was also on a trip down to murk two whole cities. It's not the kind of day you want to catch a boss in a bad mood. It's turning people to stone and whatnot. Salt. It is never wise to be in opposition of God's word. It is never wise to tell God what he can and cannot do. But we see in this situation that the enemy is nowhere to be found. You know, some of, our, some of us in this room, we have some situations where potentially the enemy did speak at one point into one of our ears. But the enemy is nowhere to be found. And our marriages are in shambles. Our finances are in turmoil. It seems like the blessings of God have dried up. Our children are battling anxiety and depression. We're battling anxiety and depression. Oh, it's awfully quiet in here. Let me talk a little while. But the enemy is nowhere to be found. That is deception. That is the situation that so many times we as believers and unbelievers find ourselves in. The enemy is nowhere around. And all we heard was one little lie. But there is good news. There are spoils waiting for you in the enemy's camp. Everything you surrendered, he has waiting for you. It's unfortunate that sometimes we have to become so desperate to discover it, just like the lepers. We're so blind to God's providence that we stumble onto the victory because we say, I'm going to die here or I'm going to die there. But I've got better odds over there. You know, the lepers, they still didn't have the vision. They still didn't understand the power of God's providence. But they said, we're not going to die just sitting here. There are spoils in the enemy's camp. It's so important that we remember we are those lepers. They found all the spoils that the Lord had prepared for his people, even though they had failed to cry out, even though they had no faith, even though they had done horrible things. Yet, he prepares a way for them. So merciful. The place that the enemy had devised as our final resting place, our defeat, our imminent death and destruction, the Lord turned and used for the place, the epicenter of our victory. Are you all with me? You know, sometimes, as a side note, sometimes we can be like the lepers, though. You, I find it very interesting, kind of ironic. They went in... And it doesn't say the first thing they got was food. Actually, it never mentions them getting food. They straightway went in three times, I think it was. They went in and they got gold and silver and, and raiments. Wow, beautiful clothing. You know what's so idiotic about this? And this is very important because sometimes this is exactly how we are. We get the blessings and the anointing and the giftings of God, and we want to go hoard it, hide it someplace. 
But what we fail to forget is that we are, in fact, lepers. And the problem with a leper touching any kind of garment, they couldn't trade it. It's infected. The only thing you do with something that's touched a leper is burn it. Can't trade it. And they couldn't even wear it. You would be stoned if you were a leper and you were caught not wearing the specific garments that were titled to be worn by a leper. And the money. Why the money? You get, yeah. Wait, you, you're going to just roll into the marketplace, flip somebody a shekel. Hey, throw me an apple there, toots. <laughs> there was no trading. There was no wearing fancy garments when you were a leper. What's so important about this is people of God, if you take the giftings and you take the anointings and you take the blessings and you try to hoard them and hide them and keep them for yourselves, you will render them absolutely useless. Useless. And finally, the, the lepers, they wake up. Wait, wait, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? This is ridiculous. This is a day of celebration. We need to go tell the king. We need to go tell all these people. And so they go and tell, and we read the rest of the story, that the people ran out. And they ran with such vigor that the individual that had said the Lord would never be able to do it was trampled in the gate. But the people met with a great victory that day. Tremendous victory against all odds and without the use of prayer. God wants us to make it so bad that we could probably drag along without praying. We could probably limp along to each little spoil that he's dropped for us to survive. That's never how God intended us, his people, to operate. He gives us two examples back to back of cities surrounded very intentionally. One was a man surrounded, but he had a relationship with God and he knew how to pray. The other was a group of people that said, God hasn't answered. He's not going to. And so they ended up losing things along the way that never should have been lost. They sacrificed innocence in a way it never should have been sacrificed. They had to face things they never should have faced. There are two points to this message tonight. A, we have got to pray. This is not a mediocre church that just drags along and makes it from spoil to spoil. We are overcomers. We are victorious. We are taking this city in the name of Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a subpar relationship around here. We want it all or nothing. And if we are going to do that, we have got to pray. The second part of this message is for those. And there is no one pious here. There's no one going to throw stones here. The second part of this message is for those that have not acted on the first part. We have not prayed like we ought. We have sacrificed some things without consulting God. Innocent things. Things that he gave us. Things that were pure. Things that we were designed to protect. Some of those were children. Some of those were marriages. Some of those were finances. And inevitably, each and every one of us will fall short at some point. And the second part 
is for all of us that have fallen short. 2020, we don't have to live like we did before. We are committing this year. We are going to pray like we've never prayed before. God, I didn't pray like I did. I, excuse me, I, I, I didn't pray like I should have. I didn't pray with the fervency. Man, maybe I didn't pray at all. But I've here, I'm here to tell somebody tonight that we need to make this a year of prayer. And if 2019 wasn't a year of prayer for you, I've got good news for you. The Lord, he loves you so much that if you can make it just a little bit further, there's spoils waiting for you in the enemy's camp. And those things that afflicted you, the enemy, he's nowhere to be found. You thought he was there, but it was really just a prison in your own mind. If you can crawl and hack your way just a little bit further, you're going to find that there's nothing but victory when you arrive. There's nothing but spoils when you arrive. God's already made a way. Come on now, there's somebody in the house tonight. You've been afflicted with something. Your family's been afflicted with something. And maybe there's a strong possibility it's because you didn't pray. But I've got good news for you. There are spoils in the enemy's camp. There are spoils in the enemy's camp. Come on, lift your voices with me right now and begin to pray. Usher in the presence of the Lord. There are spoils in the enemy's camp. Come on, continue to pray. Continue to pray. As the music plays, these altars are open. This is an altar of victory right now. You need to claim it tonight. There's spoils in the enemy's camp. There's spoils in the enemy's camp. I'm going to take back what I gave to him. Tonight. Tonight. I'm going into this year victorious. I'm going into this year victorious. God has prepared a way. He has prepared a way. He has already provided. There are spoils waiting for me. You can come out of this situation better off than you went in. There are spoils in the enemy's camp. Come on, if you know how to talk in tongues, do it right now. Chase after the Lord a little bit. If 2020 is going to be a year of prayer, Set a precedent for it in your altar calls. Set a precedent for it in your personal prayer life. God, I don't want to be subpar. I don't want to be mediocre. When I'm trapped in a city, I want to know that you're greater than my enemies. That you've already made a way. That you've already provided. God, there's spoils in the enemy's camp waiting for me.